Uh, I want to dispense with the diplomacy. I do want to say something to you, and we're going to jump in the word of the Lord tonight by the direction of the Spirit of God. But um, I realized when I was here last November during the minister's conference, and I do want to uh, give a great, huge commendation both to the mama of the house whose longstanding anointing and faithfulness with her husband has created an atmosphere that's literally impacted lives and ministries around the world and is still doing so. But then the uh, ministry of their own right uh, and both of their children, their seed, now their seed seed with Jonathan and Tia and the great pastors and overseers and the bishops now of this church and what God is doing mightily through them. And it's quite obvious that the anointing, the apostolic anointing, is on their lives in a great way and continue to increase and grow. And I thank God for that. And the nature of our relationship, the deep covenant that we have together, and I'm not just talking about family and marriage, but I'm talking about by the Holy Ghost. We are co-laborers in the gospel. And if there's any one church in the planet that's in my heart as much as Texarkana, USA, it is this church. And when I was here in November, uh, the Spirit of God, I can't say he got on to me, but he made me to know, that's the polite way to say it, that I had come annually at the minister's conference as we had discussed, and it had been in my heart, and I think it had been in your heart, Pastor. We talked about it, and we would talk about it in passing with all sincere intention about getting something done but, you know, one of the scriptures says that we can neglect so great a salvation. That God has a plan, and we miss certain pieces of the plan. We wonder, it's kind of like a vehicle that has a couple of spark plugs that aren't working. And you wonder, why am I not getting the power and the thrust out of this thing? It's because it's missing. It's not hitting on every cylinder. We don't have all the pieces in place. And this church is deep in my heart. And it would seem like, as much as we love preachers, and we do, in fact, uh, uh, you know, we've got uh, all of our preachers from, that are connected with us and that we oversee several hundred of them coming to our place at the end of this next month. Um, I love preachers. We, we spend a lot of our time investing in men and women of God in a great way. And so it's a thrill. In fact, the call of God to do this meeting, I think, came at that meeting. And so in many ways, it's a sister meeting. Uh, if you will, or a, or a connected meeting to ministry gifts nationally and internationally. And the anointing and the weight of, of it is wonderful. But at the same time, this church is deep in my heart. And so I, I said a lot there to get around to simply saying, when I was here in November, the Lord made me to know that what was in my heart that we had been several years and we had not been together and had the opportunity to impart to the church. And I, when we talked, and I made mention of that to you, and when we talked, and it is so good to see you. I hadn't gotten to hug your neck yet, sweetheart, but glory to God. Uh, and by the way, Sister Lori sends her love and the rest of the family, and hallelujah. But I knew that it was imperative. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus being driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Well, I understand the Spirit of God leads us, and God doesn't make us do anything. But Paul talked about going bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. There can come an anointing on you when you've yielded yourself to the will of God, 
where you walk far enough out in the river that you're no longer in control and the river starts carrying you. The point I'm trying to make is you can be driven in the Holy Ghost and not be the devil. He can be so emphatic about getting something done that he wants done because it's critical to what he wants to accomplish. And I'm just going to tell you, um, I know they made mention of the weekend, and I know here you only have a few weeks of good daylight and summer and real time to do what you do. And I understand all of the natural ramifications of why that sometimes we get distracted. We don't invest the time, maybe in a full weekend like this. But we knew in our spirit that we could do no less than three services. That there was a divine, heaven-sent, supernatural, Holy Ghost-driven impartation for this vision and for this local house. So we came here not as another stop. We didn't have a meeting tonight just to have a meeting. I'm telling you, this was heaven's idea. You know, the hand of the Lord, it says, is not restrained to say by many or by few. That's right. And so I've, we've been at this, this isn't our first, we say down south, isn't our first rodeo, right? So we've been at this a while, a night or two, a minute or two. And I'm not moved at all. I know how it is to pastor. My primary office is not pastoral. And to be honest with you, uh, while, yeah, I guess we'll always be pastors at our heart, shepherds at heart, um, I don't stand before you tonight as a pastor in particular. There's an impartation of some things from a ministry office that if you'll connect with it, your life is going to catapult forward into the harvest. I said into the harvest. Into the manifestation of the miracle manifestation of your faith project that you have been making your way toward. The only way that I know how to describe it is John 6. When Jesus came walking on the water, and it said they had been slowly making their way. But when they willingly received him into the ship, suddenly the ship was at the other shore. There's a miracle of translation for you. There's a miracle of supernatural speed into the sudden manifestation of what God wants to thrust this ministry into that can and should happen this weekend. It's why we're here. Now, I am believing God right now that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him be absolutely and supernaturally and unequivocally, unashamedly and powerfully driven with weight and substance where you can feel it on the inside of your spirit. You will not be the same. That's right. After our time together in this book, you and I, we will not be the same. It's what you're going to have. If you'll open your heart and you'll open your eyes and you'll open your ears, heaven's going to talk to you. Glory be to God. Because you see, the sin of familiarity, the commonness of the way we treat these moments, after we've walked with people for a prolonged period of time, we don't realize it, but Satan is behind that. He uses it to suck the very power out of the miracle nature of our covenant. And I'm telling you, glory be to God, there's a number of things we're going to talk about. And I tell you what, after these three sessions, We'll probably compile them together and maybe make them available to other people, and we'll decide what the overall title is, all right? 
but I do know what's in my heart, and I do know where we're going, and I do know where we're starting, and we're going to go as far as you're able to hear it. And I promise you the word of the living God will not return void. Your life is about to change. Everything you're believing God for is about to change. It is harvest time. I said, it is harvest time. I said, it is reaping season. It is harvest time. Glory be to God. Woo, glory be to God. And the Spirit of God uh, said to me two or three years ago, and some of you may actually get the monthly letter that we, uh, that we write. I don't know if you do or not, but uh, he said to me that one of the greatest things, actually the greatest thing he said you can do and I know now it's, of course, for the body of Christ, but especially you can get more done with certain, for example, the Bible talks about Jesus, and there's several instances. One, where he took a young man outside the city. Another one, where he kicked the relatives out, so forth and so on. In other words, there's some things you just can't get done around certain people. It's why Jesus had to take people outside the city. It's why he had to move them to a different place where he could communicate with them. I don't have time to teach that right now, but you see, we don't realize that who we run with affects us. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe who you partner with affects you, ask Caleb and Joshua. Because who they were running with kept them out of what was uniquely theirs. They had to wait till those folks died. They didn't get it till they were cut loose from those people. Don't be those people. Be the people folks want to hook up with. The Bible says that in the last days, this is a, I'm just talking about partnership a little bit here, all right? Because I want to talk to you about several things. Don't count this against the preaching time tonight. We hadn't started yet. <laughs> I want to show you a verse here. I, I believe it's a verse that will be a great blessing to you. It's in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 8. Actually, we're starting something with this, but I'm not going to get into that tonight. I just want to show you the biblical principle of this particular verse. But at the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah chapter 8, I want you to look at what it says in verse 23. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men out of all languages shall take hold. Now notice this key phrase, take hold. Because this, this phrase, even though it's not in the essence of line upon line teaching of where we're headed, yet it has the exact principle. They're going to take hold. I tell you, you're not going to have anything from God unless you take hold of it. Right, right, right. Glory be to God. The Bible doesn't say anything about him giving you a harvest, but it says everything about you receiving one. So I want you to understand that if harvest is going to happen, you're going to have to harvest. And in in these sessions, one of the things we're going to deal with, this will be the end result. We're going to overcome enemies to our harvest. In particular, in great detail, we're going to overcome the number one enemy to all harvest, which is weariness. And specifically, by the end of these three sessions, we will have manifestation of victory over the spirit of deception. 
because he's been at work in great detail. Demons. Demons have been conniving in constant array with wily strategy to keep you out of your harvest. And you're frustrated and worn out and tired and discouraged thinking that it's on God's end or there's some appointed time or, or, or maybe there's some reason or no, no. No, no. This is the enemy. And we have victory over the enemy because if there's somebody that doesn't want you to receive, it's going to be your enemy. Yes. You want to receive. God wants you to receive. Yes. It's your enemy that doesn't want you to have it because yes. he knows when you get it, huh? You're, you're breaking his containment. Yes. So if he can't stop you, his number one strategy is to contain you. And if he can delay you to the point you get discouraged, he doesn't have to do anything because he'll win by default. You will put your weapons down on your own. So you need to realize that almost all battles, he never wins by overcoming you. He always wins by default when he tricks you into laying down your weapons. Your harvest is guaranteed if you won't quit. It's bought and paid for by the blood. I said it's bought and paid for by the blood. But you have to take hold of it, and you can't relax your hold on it. And we're going to talk about overcoming the enemies. We're going to talk about a supernatural heavenly endowment of getting back up on top. You know, that's exactly, that's all that Peter did when he got distracted walking on the water. He relaxed his hold. He wasn't walking on the ocean. He was walking on the substance of faith. Amen. But, you know, the beautiful part about that when he began to sink is he got back up on top of it. Jesus has a way to take hold with you to get you back up on top and walk out that which you started walking in. Just because you're sinking down into it and it looks like you're about to let go of it and you get discouraged and afraid, you don't have to stay there. He'll grab you and bring you back up on top, help you deal with that weariness that's distracting you and the deception that's trying to get your eyes off of it, and he'll take you back to the boat, and next thing you know, the boat will be at the shore. But you're going to, <laughs> you're going to have to take hold of his hand when he reaches it out to you, when you're sinking. Right? So he didn't say, oh, Jesus, no, I didn't fear. I was just concerned. Blah, 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 blah. No, he admitted it. I'm in fear. That's what was wrong with me. I got off the substance of faith. It was my fault, not yours. You're still standing up there. Amen? Glory to God. So, look at this verse now, real quickly. It says, It shall come to pass, thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him who is a Jew, saying, we're going to go with you, for we've heard God is with you. I'm talking about covenant partnership. There should be such an anointing on our lives that people recognize that and say, I am going with you. Because it's obvious to me with the miracles happening all around you all the time that there's a favor and a covenant and an anointing on you. And if I get hooked up with you, I'm going somewhere. Now, this church has that anointing on it. But anyone can start treating something common, and the next thing you know, it stops working. This church has a phenomenal apostolic thrust on it. But it's really easy when we get distracted and discouraged to think nothing's happening. Why isn't it happening? 
Well, did I hear correctly? Well, maybe I'm not doing it right. I'm not sure this faith confession stuff works. So we're going to talk about a number of those things, but I want you to understand that in particular, you're going to walk out of here in victory. We're going to overcome our faith failures, and we are going to harvest what belongs to us. It is harvest time. I said it is harvest time, and your harvest is racing towards you at warp speed. Glory be to God. God's not the one at fault. Amen. And I'm so grateful for that. We have help in Jesus' name. I remember being on the front row of a church, uh, actually in Arkansas, of a pastor that's uh, ordained with us. And I, just as if somebody audibly, I just want to turn and say, who said that to me? The Spirit of the Lord said to me, there's always someone or something at the ready to be harvested in the now. Glory be to God. That means there's something in this meeting for you. Right now, in this time I'm talking about tonight, it's passing you by. The question is, will you see it? Will you grab it? Will you open your heart to it? It'll bring you right on up out of your situation, if you will. We have help. There's an anointing here. Woo, we are not here by ourselves. Glory be to God. I said, glory be to God. Glory be to God. So, praise the Lord. Now, we call folks in. We say, you'll be back because you'll put value in what the Spirit of God is doing this weekend. We also say that you'll, you'll just encourage others to be here. And we know that others are coming that will continue to be here tomorrow, that have challenges tonight. That's fine. But it's not quite the same as being in the assembly. And so what I want to say to this couple is, you're doing a phenomenal job. You know, the value and the success of heaven being pleased with what you do does not consist in being a little bit frustrated in a springtime season on a Saturday night when you feel like, man, there are so many people that for various reasons are in other situations. We didn't come to minister to who's not here. We came to minister to who is. And I want to thank you for being here. But there's more here than meets the eye. So I want you to know that, uh, you know, we're, we're not here for, we're never here for that. But as a young pastor, I know how that feels. I know exactly. You pour your life into everything. You want their lives to go forward. You see and know by the Spirit the importance of this moment, that it's their breakthrough moment. It's the linchpin for their future at times, and, and you, you desperately crave it. I just want to tell the two of you, don't you get discouraged by this. This meeting is as much for you and maybe only for you. If we had to have the meeting for them to attend just so it could be for you, this vision will harvest everything you've been faithful to sow into it. You watch what I tell you. So thank you for staying in your post. Glory be to God. What great pastors you have. I'm telling you what great pastors you have. Hallelujah. 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 Now that we've gotten a little bit of that out of the way, how many of you are ready to go? We're in the running blocks. You got your hands on the line. You ready to go? All right. Glory to God. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I tell you what, something connected there a second ago. I'm telling you, you're not going to leave this place the same. That's right. I'm telling you, this will be a life-changing meeting for you. Right. If you will just stay the course and open your heart, heaven's going to download some things. You will never be the same. Glory be to God. Woo, 
thank you, Jesus. Glory be to God. And neither, neither will any of the rest of you if you'll just hook up. Galatians chapter 6, <clears throat> I want to begin reading with you in verse 7. It says this, Be not deceived. Can you see this? Somebody say, Be not deceived. Now, we're about to read about a guaranteed harvest as long as we don't get deceived. So the spirit of deception is the spirit that goes to work to try to talk you out of your harvest. So we're going to talk about the spirit of deception some, uh, maybe tonight, but we're going to lay some principles out tonight. But we're going to deal with recognizing that, wait a minute, that wasn't, that wasn't natural. There was a demon behind that. And I fell for it because I treated it natural and it kept me out of my harvest. Now let's look at this right here. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The word reap is therismos. It's used more than once in this set of passages. It literally means, that definition of that means a fixed future event that's guaranteed to happen if we stay on course. Did you hear what I said? There's a fixed future event that is guaranteed to happen if we stay on course. A guaranteed harvest. Guaranteed. Now, <clears throat> this is huge. And we're going to talk a little bit about debunking myths of what is due season. And we're going to talk about what due season is and things that affect due season. And why we're not harvesting. And why our harvest passes by and we miss it and we wonder, what happened? I know I should have had that by now. Amen. I can just see right now, you, 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 you're getting, your spirit, man, Holy Ghost is helping us. You're getting peaked a little bit. Yeah, why? Because there's answers in the Word. But these aren't 30-second answers. Amen? They're principles that take revelation to understand some things. But if we'll understand them, our lives will change forever. He said to me, the greatest thing you can do for your partners, that's why I went the direction of partnership, but for the body of Christ at large, is to teach them how to harvest. The Lord said to me two or three years ago, the body of Christ knows much about sowing. They know they should sow. Their faith is high in sowing. Many of them have acted on sowing. But he said they know very little about harvesting. And he said they're as responsible to harvest as they are to sow. And he said, I want you to begin to teach the body of Christ how to harvest. It's the greatest thing you can do for them. He said, because the only way to fulfill the vision is for all the people that are attached to it to harvest. How are we going to fulfill what God's called this church to do if none of you get your harvest? How are you going to do your part? How are you going to be in position to supply what you need to supply? How are you going to sow what you need to sow and do what you need to do and go where you need to go? Or you're still struggling, but, you know, trying to keep one nostril above the water. No, God wants us to get on top. Glory be to God. Amen. Amen. And we're going there in Jesus' name. Praise God. I tell you, I don't know about you, but I can sense the Holy Ghost helping me. He's helping us tonight. Praise God. All right, let's start from the top. Verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap. Do you see this? We shall reap. We will reap. It's guaranteed. If we faint not. Now, he identifies in verse 7 three principal beings, characters that are involved in the harvest. Be not deceived. That's number one. Who's the deceiving party? Well, let's look at this. Go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Hallelujah. In Revelation chapter 12, it begins to give a character here. You know, you can see the nature of something by its name. Right? The Bible says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. It says in Matthew chapter 4, then the tempter came. And the next verse, it says, the devil took him. So who's the tempter? The devil's the tempter. Right? The devil's the tempter. In fact, James chapter 1 says that God cannot be tempted with evil. And neither does he tempt any man. So God's not the tempter. The devil's the tempter. Right? Well, then the Bible calls him the father of lies. So he's a liar. And the Bible calls him the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. So one of his names is thief. One of his names is tempter. One of his names is liar. One of his names is destroyer. Well, here, we're going to read about him again, and notice what it says. Verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels... And prevailed not. Neither was their place. See their place? Say place. place. Neither was their place. Whose place? The dragon. The devil. And his angels. Demons. Demons are seeking place. There's a war here. Amen? And they're trying to gain the advantage. They're warring over territory. You see this? Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And that and the great dragon, say the dragon, was cast out. Ooh, glory to God. Now we just found out who this dragon is. The dragon fought and his angels. So the dra- this dragon has angels. Well now, why would the dragon have angels? He didn't create anything. He's not the creator of anything. Why would he have angels? Because he set himself up like God. Only reason that the devil has angels is because God is God, the God of heaven. He created angels. God has angels. So when Satan set himself up, I want to be like God, then he made all the other demons his angels. But they're all created, even the devil's an angel. 
He was a created being. And he was cast out. We see here he was cast out. He's a created being. He never created anything. But it's the reason he operates like he does. Understand that in the beginning, the angels were created to function. They were created like, like man. Man, for example, was created with certain spiritual capacity, with dominion. Angels were created for a purpose. They have rank and file. They're created to do what God assigned them to do. And this isn't a teaching on angels, so we're not going to get deep into that. Except, I do want to say this to you, the first mention of angels that we see in the book of Genesis is he set cherubim, two of them, at the entrance of the garden. So they are at entry points and exit points. They hold gates. That's what they're designed to do. If you study your Bible, you'll find that hell is, it is, according to Scripture, below the earth, and it is a fixed place of incarceration, but it's called hell, not because the place is called hell, but because the, the spirit being that was ruling over it is named hell. Hell is the name of an angel. That's why Jesus has the keys of hell and death. Those are the names of angels. He took their keys. So the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Do you see this? They have no authority. Keys represent authority. When he took their keys, what did he take? He stripped them of any authority to operate. They they have no more place in the body of Christ. When you were born again, you were translated. Out from under the authority of darkness. I can do that again if you want. out from under the authority of darkness and translated into. Notice the word out. Notice the word in. Talk about entrance. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Have everlasting life. See, we need to understand that every door in the kingdom is a door of opportunity. And uh, demons, because they were created to keep gates, are called, originally, God calls them the keepers. They, they were originally sent to keep the way of the tree of life. So angels were actually created as God's servants to keep and hold the territory within God's dominion. So they're keepers. That's what they do. Which is why you have to cast demons out. Because they want to hold the territory. They were created to hold territory. And they didn't change just because they fell. They just operate in that demon realm. So when they get a place, you've got to force them to leave. It takes authority. You have to cast them out. You can't counsel them out. You can't bribe them out. You can't coax them out, trick them out. You've got to cast them out. That's why, you know, people have long-standing issues and they wonder why 20 years am I fighting the same battle? Because you're not dealing with, you're not dealing with a learning disorder. You get the things got to come out by the roots. And it has this life source in the spirit realm. And you have authority over it. But you've got to see that. So if you're going to harvest the victory over it, you're going to have to deal with the devil that's trying to hold that territory. All right, I, I want you. See, what happens is, is we don't realize it, but the church 
has been argued off by religious tradition, carnal mentality, carnal preaching, social agendas. We have been political ideas. We have been argued out of the spirit realm. We've been argued out of our seat in the heavenlies. And we're trying to get ministry done with natural agendas. There's no way. This is not a natural thing we've done here. We're assigned to do something supernatural. This is a clash of kingdoms. And darkness leaves as fast as the light comes in, which is why he's terrified of you being here getting some light because there's the rulers of darkness, and rulers of darkness can't rule in the light. So he'll do anything he can to keep you out from under this revelation because once you see it for what it is, you start dealing with him where he is, and he's no more. Your harvest starts coming. Amen. All right, so notice what it says here. Let's talk about who he is now. It says, and that great dragon, and the great dragon was cast out. This is verse 9. That old serpent, say the serpent. Serpent. Called the devil, say the devil. devil. So you see his names here? He's a dragon. He's a serpent. That means he's a snake. There's only two kinds. He's either going to put poison in you or squeeze you. There's only two kinds. <clears throat> You're catching this, aren't you? And that's why you get under such pressure. That's the spirit of the devil. He's constricting you. That's why there's times that you're tormented in your mind and you just feel like you just can't shake a thought. Something's wrapped around your head. It is. And unless you take authority of it, it's going to stay there. Now, you don't have to submit to that. But that is the way he operates. And you need to recognize what you're dealing with. Amen. And so here, he's a dragon. He's a serpent. He's the devil. Say the devil. And Satan. So is there any question who we're talking about here? The devil, Satan, who's a dragon and a snake. Notice what it says. He was cast out. Woo, glory to God. He was cast out. Satan, which does what? He does what? So he's the deceiver. So when the scripture says in Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, who's the deceiver? So who's the party we're talking about here? The devil. Somebody say the devil. Now, what I want you to understand, let's go back. Now, we could read further there, but it's not important at the moment, although the Bible goes on to call him the accuser of the brethren and so forth and so on. But what I want you to see is, and that's why he wants to argue out of your harvest, he'll accuse you that it's not the right time, you're not worthy to receive it, you've done something wrong, maybe God meant something else, there's some appointed time in the future. He's always trying to get you out of any idea that I not only have a right to it, but I have it now, and I got the authority to get it now, and it belongs to me now, and nothing can keep it from coming to me now. Anything he can do to get you out of that being fully persuaded it's mine now, he will do. Because it's the only way he can defeat you. Because the day you take authority and receive it now and call today your due season, he's done for Glory be to God. He knows that. So he's got to get you to change your mind about it or to get discouraged 
or delay it long enough, you think God denied it or get distracted. But that's just, he's entirely maneuvering in the shadows by smoke and mirrors to keep you from staying focused on the fact that it's your harvest. It belongs to you now. You should have already had it, and it's a devil trying to keep it from you, and you're going to stop it because you have authority over him. Amen. Isn't that right? We're taking authority over him. Our stuff's coming to us. We've got an exodus into our promised land. And it's happening in these meetings. Jesus is coming in our boat, and we're going to the other side. Glory be to God. It's a guaranteed harvest, bought and paid for by the blood. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And no weapon formed against me can prosper, and no demon power has the power to stop me from having it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It belongs to me and I have a right to it. And all the promises of God are yes and amen. And since he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and no respecter of persons, and since God is for me and nobody who can be against me, then it's mine and it's mine now. And it's not just that commercial that says it's my money and I want it now. It is mine and I demand it now. I harvest my healing. I harvest my peace. I harvest my family and the protection of my family. I harvest my body parts. I have it. It belongs to me. Bought and paid for by the blood. Glory be to God. And I'm not putting up with this delay anymore. I'm going to treat the delay like what it is. Demonic interference. Amen. He's the deceiver. So we've got this, we've got this person introduced into the harvest issue. And his name is the deceiver. Be not deceived. Yeah. Right? Be not deceived. Why? Because there's no, there's not any other reason that the harvest isn't happening. It's the devil. Yeah. Do you see this? All right, so be not deceived. God, oh, now we're introducing God into the equation. Be not deceived. God. God is not. God is not what? God's not the deceiver. So the way this is written is written this way on purpose to clearly show us that God is exactly opposed to the deceiver. God's not the one deceiving you. He's not tricking you into thinking that this is some convoluted um, how shall I say it? Complicated. Convoluted, complicated maze of spiritual mystery that there's some magical, mystical reason and God's working out some greater maturity in me and teaching me and he's got an appointed time and it was before the foundation of the world and uh, there's some great reason why. No, it's the devil teaching you all that nonsense. Because if he can tell you you don't have it now, and you start saying you don't have it now, and you don't expect it to come now, that he has totally neutralized your authority because it doesn't say anything about God being the principal party that's setting your harvest. It says we said it. We got three people. Right there in verse 7, you got three people. You got the deceiver, who's the devil. You got God who can't be bought, which means this is going to work every time. And then you got a man, whatsoever a man sows. So you got the devil, you got God, and you got a man. 
The devil can't keep you from it. God won't tell you no. So who's the deciding witness? The man. Now, how do you know the man's the deciding witness? Whatsoever a man, say a man. man. That shall he. Who's the he? Is the he God? Is the he the devil? Who's the he? So who's going to do the reaping? So it doesn't say God shall not be mocked. He'll give you your harvest. That's not what it says. It's already bought and paid for. He's already done everything heaven can do to give us access and dominion to this, this promise, this harvest. He gave you the land already. He bought and paid for it. Gave you the authority to take it, the weapons to harvest it, access to the revelation about how to do it, the wisdom to operate in it. Glory be to God. Notice this. The man sows. The man reaps. Do you see this? Now, we've done a lot of sowing, but we've done a whole lot of sitting back waiting on God to give us a harvest. And we've left up to God what God's left up to us. Maybe I just need to... I mean, there's so much to talk about here that we're just already only just scratching the surface. But let me just say to you that if we can't get this settled on the inside of us, we're, we're, we're really almost at a disadvantage to talk about the revelation of the rest of the process. And I'm going to tell you why. Because he says here, look at this, be not deceived. God is not mocked. That means God is not going to be... Um, God's not the one on trial here. Do you see what he's saying here? God is not mocked. And the idea is, yeah, 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 yeah. God is not going to be the one talked about as if he's the, he's the one in the wrong for why this thing isn't working right. Because spiritual law always operates the same way. This isn't abstract, this isn't mystical. It's not the ways of God are mysterious. No, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Spiritual law will work for every human in the room. And it will have the same outcome every time for every person that works it. Now, that means God can't be mocked. There's cause and effect in the spirit realm. This thing's not abstract. There's a guaranteed harvest here. So the determining factor is the man. Because he's the one that has dominion to reap. And here's what this, this is what the scripture then says to us. If we were to go back and look at several places, for example, how about Genesis 1? Are you with me? Genesis 1, just two ideas here. In fact, let's bring it up here. Since you guys are doing such a great job following this, we'll, we'll use Galatians 6 as our base text for the flow of the entirety of everything we're going to do. We're going to settle it and uh, at least touch base with it in every session. But notice what he's saying here. He is saying in, Genesis, in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Now, right here, I want to go to Genesis 1, 26. I'm going to explain to you why. We're going to see some things here. But now let's think about it. We've quoted it several times. You can quote it. Galatians 6, 7. I'm going to quote it again, and then we're going to read Genesis. 
I'm going to show you a connection here. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. That verse makes the law of sowing and reaping synonymous with God. The law of sowing and reaping in the earth is a law established by the creator of the universe. That means sowing and reaping is as solid, as guaranteed, as unchangeable, as reliable. You can hang your hat on it as much as God himself. It's backed by God, backed by his blood, backed by a covenant, and settled in the heavens, given to man to determine his future. So according to Galatians 6, 7, God and the law of sowing and reaping are synonymous. That means if I'm going to get anything from God, I'm going to do it through that law. I'll tell you what, before we go to Genesis 1, let's go to Matthew 13. I'll explain that. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Glory be to God. I said glory be to God. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, and I want to read in uh, verse 31. Have you found it? Matthew 13, verse 31. Another parable Jesus put forth unto them. And here's what he said. The kingdom of heaven is like what? Is like a seed. See, when we read through here, I'm not taking anything away from the word. I'm not taking anything out of the word to say like a mustard seed. I want it to get in your mind and heart what he's saying. Sometimes we talk about mustard seed and it's small and it's this and it's that and immediately your mind goes off. No, no. I want you to get what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven, the whole kingdom operates like a seed. That's what I want you to see. A seed can represent and access everything in the kingdom. A seed and the whole kingdom are synonymous. The law of seed time and harvest runs the kingdom. And we're not going to get anything done in the kingdom without operating that law. Because that's the law that operates the kingdom that releases the kingdom from heaven to earth. Now notice what he said here. Look, this is huge. The kingdom of what? The kingdom of heaven is like a seed which a man took. Excuse me? You mean it didn't happen because God willed it? Sure he willed it. But he gave a man the ability to reach in and take seed from the heavens and purposefully sow it into the earth and with a seed he can bring, man can bring heaven and earth together. Look at this. Kingdom of heaven operates like a seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Field's yours, not God's. Earth belongs to you. He gave it to you. But he brought heaven and earth together on that cross. So everyone on earth has access to everything in heaven in Christ because we have a covenant. Now, I'm not talking about non-covenant people. I'm talking about you who are born again. So, lo, don't say, here's the kingdom or there's the kingdom. This is Luke 
In Luke's Gospel 11, 20, 21, I believe it is. Don't say, lo, here's the kingdom, there's the kingdom. No, 17, 20, 21, I believe. But don't say, lo, here's the kingdom, there's the kingdom. Behold, the kingdom of God's within you. So where's the kingdom? Within you. He moved out. When Jesus cried, it's finished, that veil ripped from top to bottom. The Holy Ghost moved out of the Holy of Holies. When he ripped that curtain, when he ripped that curtain, it wasn't to let us in. So let him out. He won't live in there. He won't live in there. So the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Oh, this is big stuff. I mean, this is huge. Because now we see then that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed, which a man took. A man can take a seed and get everything that's in the kingdom transferred from heaven to earth. That's what he just said. A man takes it, and a man sows it in his field. Amen. I'm just trying to get, try to get you to understand that we have been given dominion to operate this spiritual law, which is very concrete and will work for you in every situation and as a guaranteed harvest every time if you just stay on course. You just got to stay on course. You can't grow weary in well-doing. You can't get distracted. And we'll talk about all of that. And that's exactly, and the enemy knows that. That's like putting sugar in the gas tank of your car, and you wonder, why did my, how did my engine blow up? Because you put the wrong stuff in there. Amen? I mean, there's certain things I do when I get in that airplane, and I operate the law of lift, and it supersedes the law of gravity. I want you to understand, the law of gravity doesn't cease to exist. I'm just operating a higher law. I'm just overcoming it. As long as I'm operating that higher law, gravity has no effect on me. If you don't believe it's still there, back off of that law. I guarantee you, gravity will take back over. And here's the amazing thing about that airplane. It's an inanimate object. It doesn't care if a man or a woman does it. It doesn't care if a teenager does it who knows how to do it. Or a 90-year-old man does it. It doesn't, ha- does, it doesn't know your bank account. Yeah. It doesn't check your criminal record. Yeah. That law will work for any man that'll work it. Yeah, right. And it'll do the same, that airplane will do the same thing for any man sitting in that seat or woman. She doesn't have to be married. It doesn't say, I'm not going to fly because you're single. It doesn't say, I refuse to fly for you today. You're broke. (laughs) Did you know that the government may stop you from flying, but the airplane won't? It doesn't care if you have a pilot's license. You get in there and push the throttles forward, it doesn't check your ID. It flies. Why? Because you're operating a law that's going to work for anybody. that, that. That's why it rains on the just and the unjust. This law is going to work. Law of seed, time, and harvest is a higher law than that. That's a, that's a natural law. We're talking about the law of flight but it, and law of gravity, but it's going to stay here as long as the earth remains. Right? Can you imagine how eternal the law of seed, time, and harvest would be then? 
See, one of the things we don't realize is we are actually operating that law because the law operates consciously or unconsciously. That's the reason that ground around here grows stuff. It can fall in there by chance, and it's not going to grow what you want. Or you can dig it up and plant something on purpose, and it will grow for you what you plant. So the only way to take dominion over a vacant lot is plant what you want. Not just sit back there, I wish I had that, and they'd grow in a thorn bush. Take dominion over it. Work the law on purpose instead of by chance. And you won't be whining about what your life looks like. It'll change. Am I helping anybody? This is really important. Yeah. If we neglect this law, this law is still going to work. But it's going to work by chance. Well, guess who gets involved then? Guess who gets to decide our future then? The world system that has the curse in it. Because now we're not living on purpose. Now we're living like a non-covenant person. Like people out there live that that don't know God and don't have a covenant with God. Right? So this is going to work for people who have a covenant with God. Glory be to God. It works for me. It'll work for you. Works for this church. Sure. Because Jesus bled and died for it. Rose again to settle it, seal it. Praise the Lord. Well, we see this then as a man should, man takes it. A man puts it into the ground. Amen? And he sows it in his field on purpose. Praise God. Now, we could talk about this in any number of different ways, but let's just deal with it because uh, I'm sure we'll touch on this again <clears throat> by the Spirit of God. So let's go to the book of Genesis where we were, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Notice what it says here. Let's just read it off the screen. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us, mm, mm, mm. Now, now follow me here. Let us, well, that's plural, is it not? So this is Elohim. This is the Godhead. Let us, let Elohim, the Godhead, make man, how? Our, is that plural? And our image after our likeness. And let them, whoo, glory be to God. Later we find out who the them is. Male and female made he them. So the them is male and female. So this dominion has nothing to do with your gender. You are mankind. This will work for you, ladies. This law will work for you on the same level it will work for any man, anywhere, anytime. Let them, let us make man in our image, mankind, after our likeness, let them have Somebody say dominion. Dominion. Now look at this. It's really important information. Dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the face of the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now that's the them that has dominion. You see that? Let's read the next verse. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, who? 
The fish of the sea? The fowl of the air? The creeping things on the earth? No, the man and woman. God said to the man and woman, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Glory to God. Dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Next verse. And God said, Behold, I, who did this? I have given you, who's the you? Male and female. I have given you, mankind, you, man and woman, every herb-bearing seed, which is in the face of all the whole earth. That means this law is not a North American law. We don't prosper because we live in North America. The covenant is not geographical. Glory be to God. It'll work anywhere on earth. And what did he give us? Seed. Why did he give us seed? That's true. That's true. Anybody else? You know the number one reason he gave us seed? Because he made us like him. Till you start operating in the kingdom law of sowing and reaping. You're not going to stop sowing and reaping when you go to heaven. That's what runs the kingdom. He gave man seed not so he could live down here by it and then go to heaven. He gave man seed because man was created in his image. It's the way God lives. And until we start living this way, we're not living like God. God is the one that gave the law. Why? To make man like him, to make earth like heaven. So, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Meaning God and the law of sowing and reaping are synonymous. Law of sowing and reaping is the way the dominion of God operates. That's why the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. All of the kingdom, the whole kingdom, everything in the kingdom transfers on the back of seed. That's why in order to get the kingdom here, God had to plant Jesus. He was his most precious seed. He planted one man, one perfect man, and he reaped a world full of men over all the face of the earth. That's the way this works. Isn't that what Jesus said about himself? Didn't he say that in John chapter 12, verse 25 and 26? Didn't he say, if I live, I will abide alone? But if I fall on the ground and die, like what? What did he say he was like? A kernel of wheat? I will bring forth much fruit? Didn't he say, I'm the seed? 
Why do you think he's called the seed of Abraham? Am I helping anybody here? See, I'm trying to get you to see that the law of seed time and harvest is not just something God did for lowly man so man could make it. It is the thing that is the law that man with dominion is to live by. And until we learn how to live by this law, we're not really going to step up into our dominion. We're just going to take life as it comes. But if we start learning how to operate this law, that it guarantees a harvest and it's under our dominion, then we can change tomorrow. And tomorrow can be had on purpose. Because I can get tomorrow what I plant today. I can decide what my tomorrow will be. Now, this is the whole reason. This is, so, so as we follow along here, let's just look at two more things. I don't know how much further we'll get, but it seems to me in my spirit that the Lord wants me to continue to go down this track and get this track laid, so we will. Genesis chapter 8. In Genesis chapter 8, toward the end of the chapter, around verse 20, the flood has come. And God is starting, basically there's a wealth transfer. Noah walked out of the ark with his wife, his children and their wives. And eight people owned everything as far as they could see. Used to be owned by others. But the flood of judgment came, the ark of safety rose them above it, and God transferred the world into Noah's hands. And the Bible says that's what's going to happen at the end. Stuff's coming into our hands. There is a wealth transfer coming. Amen. Amen. Now look at what it says here. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, if you could bring that up for me. It says, Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth and neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, what does it say? Who's the one that said this? Noah didn't say it. God is saying the same thing he said to Adam in Genesis 1. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them what? do it. Replenish the earth. How's he going to do it? With his law. Seed time and harvest. Do you see that? Now let's go back and look at one more thing in Genesis chapter 1. It seems to me that as we go line upon line, we'll see some things here. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26... As we go back to that, God, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. He says it twice, and he says it later again in verse 28. What I want you to see is, is that man has dominion over the animal kingdom. Do you see this? Now let's go to Matthew chapter 6. 
And in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 25, let's just pick up there. Here's what he says. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no life, take no thought for your life. Actually, let's start in verse 24. It would be helpful. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot. So you'll serve one or the other. All right? Here, mammon is not money. Mammon is the name of a demon. This is a name. He's a god, false god, an alternate god, god and mammon. You serve one or the other. You can't serve two masters. So we're not talking about money here. We're talking mammon is the name of a demon. The demon, Satan, the deceiver. The deceiver that drives that Babylonian system. We know that because when Jesus starts talking two chapters before this in Matthew 4, he says the deceitfulness of riches causes the word to come of none effect. And we know who the deceiver is, so we know who's behind this. So there's a demon behind this. His name's Mammon. Now notice Mammon will teach you to hold on to stuff. He said you will hold to the one, despise the other. See, see how that is? So Mammon will teach you to hold on to stuff because it teaches you to trust in the stuff you see. He'll also teach you a skewed system of value. That's what the deceitfulness of riches is. He'll make you think your clothes are valuable and your food is valuable. So he'll get you spinning around distracted in his system so that he can get your harvest. So he can control what belongs to you. Now, when you come to verse 25, notice what he says. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Now this is a key phrase right here. Behold the fowls of the air. What does it say about them? They what? They don't what? They sow not. What else do they not do? They don't gather, they don't harvest either. They don't reap or gather into barns. Yet what happens? Your Heavenly Father feeds them. Question is, are you not better than them? Here's what I want you to see. There's only one class of being that has the ability to operate the law of sowing and reaping on purpose. It is the ability to sow and reap that makes us like God. That's what gives us dominion over the birds. What I want you to understand is if we just have just our needs met, that doesn't make us any better than an animal. God meets the needs of animals. They don't have a covenant. Law of sowing and reaping is not to get your needs met. Law of sowing and reaping is to take dominion over the planet, to operate in he hath given us power to get wealth, that he might establish his covenant. How did he do it? He made us like him. How did he make us like him? He gave us the law of sowing and reaping to use on purpose, with purpose, inside our dominion, with a heart toward fulfilling his command. Can you see this? This is really important. 
And until we begin to take this law back and do it on purpose, we get deceived out of the very authority given to us that guarantees our future and the harvest that's guaranteed to us by blood covenant that nothing can stop. Natural forces can't stop it. Storms can't stop it. Birds and fowls and fish can't stop it. And demons can't stop it if you stay the course. Because there's nobody that has more dominion on the planet than you and your blood covenant creator. And he gave you and me the law of seed time and harvest to bring heaven and earth together. So the kingdom of heaven is if a man should take seed. You see that? The kingdom of heaven is if a man. That means you can reach in to a law given to us on earth, a law from the heavens, the kingdom of heaven, and take a seed which can represent anything in that kingdom and transfer that kingdom into our earthly experience. We do it by the law of seed time. Glory be to God. I said glory be to God. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Glory be to God. Well, let's just finish up and leave ourselves a hook where we can get there in the morning. You going to be back in the morning? Well, here's what, yeah. Yeah, you coming back? Glory to God. Yeah, because we, all we did is crack the nut. I just heard one little crack just to know that there's meat in there. We... I'm going to cut you loose tonight and get you a good night's sleep so you can be here bright and early and chipper and excited and ready, ready to roll on the edge of your seat. I'm going to tell you why. Because we're going to collide with the glory of God. Amen. This, is how, this law is how we're going to walk in the fullness of heaven and earth. And, uh, and we're going to begin to see that weariness is about to leave your life. Is there anybody that's been fighting discouragement? Anybody that had questions? Anybody tempted to give up? Anybody a little frustrated or tormented or, or uh, no, no, we're not going to do that, are we? Why? Because we have supernatural help to overcome every enemy to our harvest. You're going to come out of these sessions with a supernatural harvest in your hands. It's going to settle down inside your heart. Glory be to God. And you are never going to be the same. And I'm telling you, this vision, this ministry is moving forward supernaturally on an unprecedented scale where you've been slowly making your way. You're about to catapult to the other shore. Suddenly, you're going to be where you always wanted to go. So don't you get discouraged. I bind and break its power. I bind and break the power of the deceiver. And I command him to stop at his maneuver against you tonight. Tonight your sleep will be sweet and not afraid for he gives to his beloved while they sleep. I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost, I just say this prophetically by the Holy Ghost according to Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of heaven is like this. If a man should cast seed in the ground and sleep and rise night and day. The seed will spring and grow up uh, because the earth brings forth fruit of itself, but he does not know how. I'm telling you, it's time for you tonight to decide right now, this is my harvest time. I am receiving my harvest. I am staying the course. I refuse to back off. I'm not of them that draw back. I have dominion to win this, and I'm in it to win it, and I'm coming through, and I'm overcoming faith failures, and I'm coming out of my victory. There's a miracle for me in me meetings and in Jesus name I'm not going to be distracted and I'm not going to be deceived and I'm not going to be argued off of this thing and I'm being strengthened by heaven taking hold of my spirit. 
I'm encouraged in my heart. I have joy in my life. I'm going to sleep in peace tonight because God's got this. There is no dominion. There is no power greater than the blood of the covenant and I overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. And in Jesus' name, I came to get mine. My miracle is my miracle moment. It is my weekend of wow. Glory be to God. I'm breaking through in Jesus' name and I'm so glad I'm a part of God's anointing that removes every burden and destroys every yoke. I'm harvesting mine. Shout it out. I'm harvesting mine. Oh, glory to God. I'm harvesting what belongs to my bodily health. I'm harvesting what belongs to my peace of mind. I'm harvesting a healed, restored heart for he was sent to heal the brokenhearted. I'm harvesting restored relationships. I'm harvesting the finances I need. I'm harvesting the wisdom I need. I'm harvesting the favor I need. And I bind and break the power of delay. There'll be no more containment. There'll be no more delay for no name, no weapon, no strategy, no wile of the devil has authority over my shield of faith. It quenches every fiery dart of the wicked one. And I am in faith. And because I'm in faith, I have it. He that believeth hath. He that receiveth has it. I'm leaving tonight with it. I know I have my harvest and I'm not going to settle for anything else in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Give the Lord a shout. Glory to God. It's mine. Shout it out. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine now. Now say one more thing. I've got a right to it. Glory be to God. All right. Well, let me, let, me just, uh, let me just leave you this hook then out of Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It's very important. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever men soweth, that shall he also reap. If he sows to his flesh, we'll, we'll deal with all this later, but if he sows to his flesh, he'll have the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, Notice it doesn't say his spirit. <laughs> the spirit. He shall of the spirit reap, not everlasting life. That's not go to heaven when you die. That's life everlasting. That means you're going to reap something. We're going to reap it. I hear this phrase in my spirit. Tell them they're going to reap it and keep it. Zoe, life as God has it. What God intended the end result of law, sowing, and reaping to be, he wants you to have it. Yeah. Put it in your hands. Yeah. The life of God's going to produce it, and it's going to be abiding and as constant as God himself because it's synonymous with his dominion, life everlasting. Yeah. I'm going to reap it, and I'm going to keep it. Yeah. Glory be to God. And let us, say let us. Let us. So the contingency is us. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for we will reap in due season if we faint not. This is what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with two things. If we were to back up, in fact, if you back up in verse 3, I want to read verse 3 and 4, you'll see this, the context here. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, what does it say? There's two kinds of deception. There's deception from the enemy, but there's people that deceive themselves. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about self-deception. We're going to talk about getting your mind renewed because you're doing things that are keeping you from harvesting, but you're deceived into thinking that as long as you're doing it the way you're doing it, you're going to get a harvest. God's going to get it to you sometime. No. The Bible says in James 1, there are certain things that if we do them, we're not even to let you think 
you can receive anything from God. So until we change our thinking about our receiving, well, then come tomorrow. Oh, my gosh, I can't. What? We'll get you. you you're going to be finding me. Okay, glory to God. We might have to have a privacy. So. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll make sure you get the revelation. <laughs> Boy, that put me on the spot, didn't it? I'm going to pray for you. Glory to God. Were you blessed tonight? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, glory be to God. Well, just now, now listen. Well, I'll give you a tidbit then. Fair enough? Tell you what. Private session. Can y'all give me two, two minutes, three minutes? I'm going to read her a couple of scriptures. She can't be here. She's got a legitimate excuse. You can be. All right. All right. I'm going to read you two scriptures. Are you with me? All right. This, isn't the, this is the most important part of it. This is not uh, everything we're going to talk about by any means, but I want to read this to you. James chapter 1. It says in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men freely. He will not withhold it. That means he's not going to, he upbraideth not. It means he won't find a reason why you can't have it. That if you're lacking something, there's a wisdom on how, how to come out perfect and entire and lacking nothing. There's a wisdom to harvest everything he's promised. And he's saying here, if we lack wisdom, we can ask him, and he will give it. How are we going to ask him? Verse 6 and 7. Now, you can read it up there and follow it. I'm going to read it to you if you want to look at that. But I'm going to stand right in front of you, okay? He says, but let him ask in faith. With this key phrase here, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he will receive or harvest anything from the Lord. So evidently, if we waver and are still thinking we're going to receive, we're deceived. And we know that's what he's saying because by the end of that, he says in verse 26 of James chapter 1, if any man among you seems to be religious but will not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And everything he's doing is in vain. So there's a way we're thinking about this law of seed, time, and harvest. That if we don't get adjusted, if our thinking is wrong, we're deceived. Because we're thinking we're, we can do this, but we're going to get this. And that's what Galatians 6 says. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to get. So you've got to keep sowing in the spirit realm. So that's number one. Now, number two, the second scripture I want to give you is the book of Ephesians. Glory be to God. Everybody okay? In Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to notice what it says here. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, let me back up here. Verse 14, actually it says in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine 
by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He's saying here in both cases, James 1 and Ephesians, two different voices. There's more, but these two are the principle here. The wavering, the back and forth, the to and fro will keep you from harvesting. So the entirety of the satanic attack is to deceive you into letting go. What do I mean by letting go? Galatians 6, 9, if you don't grow weary in well-doing, you will reap in due season if you faint not. Faint means to relax your grip, to let your arms fall down, to just let it go. So what we have to do is the tongue's the hand of the spirit, man. We know we've got our seed in the ground. We're responsible to harvest. We take hold of that thing by faith. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Now, we'll get deeper into this tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. We're going to talk about due season. But due season isn't set by God. Actually, the Greek word means a person's own. In fact, I can read it to you right here. The Greek word is huge for the word. When it says due season, the word kairos is a season in which a miraculous event is ordained to take place. So we're talking about a harvest season where you have a supernatural manifestation of God's promise. So there's a season where what God wants to be done gets done. But the due season isn't referring to a specific time God has chosen. I want to read to you what it says here real quickly. And then I'm going to pray for you tonight. I feel so led. Since you respond the way you responded, your faith is high. I perceive it. I'm going to pray for you. There's some miracles going to happen just from tonight by the anointing taking hold with you in your spirit. God's going to help you. Your heart's precious toward him, tender toward him. He has his eye on you. And you have angelic help. You're going to harvest what you've been asking him for. And know this, the harvest gets guaranteed by his grace and by his blood and the mercy seat of what Jesus did, not by our works. Faith is the way we lay hold of it. But faith is a spiritual force. It doesn't exhaust us. It doesn't wear us out. If people get worn out believing, they're not doing faith right because faith is in the spirit. Faith is attached to joy and peace. So you can hang on to something when it looks like all hell's breaking loose and know you got your harvest because the same promise that will manifest it will keep you until it gets manifested. The key, the key is you can't let go of it. You can't go back and forth and question, is it mine? Does it belong to me? And this is the Greek word right here in Galatians 6. Uh, <clears throat> this word literally means pertaining to self. And we'll talk about it tomorrow, how this works. I want you all to be here. But here's the issue. We're talking about being fully persuaded. Due season is where you're so convinced you have it inside yourself 
that you say, I have it. I got it. I see it. I got it. I see it. It's mine. It's mine. That means you have a revelation. You can see in the Spirit. It belongs to you. You've got it. It's yours, bought and paid for. You're not trying to get it. You're not trying to get God to give it to you. You're not hoping and wishing it might come. You move from from knowing that God promised it and knowing I could have it and knowing that, you know, God can into that place of being so fully persuaded, you don't have to see it because you got, you know you got I mean, you know you got it. That's your due season. When you see yourself with it, oh, I got it, oh, I got it, whoa, I'm healed, whoa, I got it. That's your due season. And that's, you decide that. Some people take longer time to get fully persuaded than others because of the consistency of how they sow into their spirit. If you sow the world one day and the Bible the next day, or you come to church once a week and then you spend the rest of your time in the world, you might not ever get it because you're never going to get over to the place where you get fully persuaded. So this due season is set huh, by what happens pertaining to self. We self sets the due season, not God. He already set the time of reception. When he rose from the dead, he brought heaven and earth together and said it all belonged to him. I set the time where I reach into heaven and take that seed out and make it happen for me. So you see, he wanted you born again before you used your faith to get born again. If you had done it a week before, you could have harvested being born again a week before. If you waited six months, you wouldn't have been born again until six months later. So who set the due season of your salvation? Not God. That was 2,000 years ago. It's done on his end. You, you appropriated it. When you believed that you received, you were born again. And that was your due season. It happens the same way for your healing. It happens the same way for your finances. So the Greek word for due means pertaining to self, which means there's a kairos moment, a divine season. Well, this is our kairos moment. We've been in this season for 2,000 years. Jesus ushered in a dispensation of a kairos moment where everything in heaven is available to everyone on earth and nothing's impossible to them that believe. So we've been living under a kairos moment for 2,000 years. We decide when it's due us. Am I helping anybody here? Oh, I'm talking about us harvesting. We'll go back over some of this. But for you, that was in a nutshell... A little synopsis, since you can't be here, what the Lord wanted you to, to uh, he didn't want you to be left with, oh, well, what does all this mean? And still hoping God might give it, or am I doing it right? Don't let go. That's what fainting means. If you will not waver, if you will hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering, if you grab hold of this thing and say, I've got a right to this, and I see myself with it, and I'm not letting this go because I already have it. Not going to get it. I have it. Then your harvest is fixed. It's guaranteed. Nothing in this world, no devil or no man can keep you from having what God has already given to you. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. He's the Lord of the harvest, yes. and we're thrusting into our harvest. Amen. Amen.